Hey, hey everyone. everyone. Welcome to Rockhound Talk Live, the only live podcast on Facebook and YouTube. Welcome. How are you doing, Ben? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, just got back from a rockhounding trip to Montana, so that was a ton of fun. Yes. Uh, yeah, a senior post uh, looked like a lot of fun. It was hot and fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we lucked out last year. It was over 100 degrees, and this year it was 100 degrees, and it was very, very hot. It was so, it was so hot that I would bend down to pick up agates that were full of moss and darker color, and they were sitting in the sun, and I would be burning my hand. They were so hot. It was... Ouch. It was hot, but it was really good. I found a lot of agates, found some dinosaur bones um, and some other bones, which we'll see a picture of later tonight. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, how have yes. you been? I've, I've been doing well. Um, I haven't done any um, collecting uh, the last few weeks. I've just been working <laughs> and got the kids back in school. So we're back into routine, that kind of thing. Um, I've got a high schooler now, so lots of exciting things oh. going on there at home. <laughs> yeah. And um, I'm hoping to get back to New York um, at the end of the month, though. Oh, really? And maybe, yeah, I just uh, addicted to it. <laughs> I just <laughs> love it so much. And then I, I'm, I'm trying to fit in a Haunted Ridge before it gets cold. But um, I don't know if it'll be possible, but it's my hope. I would really like to do it in October. Um, if anybody's been to Haunted Ridge in October, they do, you know, because of the, you know, Haunted Ridge and it being October with Halloween, um, they they do like weekends there or something, so, something um, eventful. So I'm, I'm hoping to experience that um, if I can squeeze it in. Um, we've got lots of activities back to school, so we'll see how that goes. Um, I'm hoping though, like if I can't do it in October, being that it's lower than Ohio, I'm thinking I could probably do it comfortably in November, you know, collect and not be, you know, too cold. I, I'll have to look into the weather, but maybe. So it may not, it may not be completely, you know, lost hope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So any, any news, um, any geology news that you're aware of? Um, I'm trying to think. Um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Um, I will say, too, we mentioned this on the last show. Um, one of our guests from this season, Chase Anderson, also known as the Agat Dude, um, set up a charity and he's doing his uh, benefit for Lahana, Hawaii, for all the wildfires. That is actually this Sunday. So if you are in the Twin Cities area, come down to Excelsior Brewing Company on Sunday. Um, there's going to be auctions. Um, I know when we did our last interview with Dustin Twist, he mentioned he was going to donate some things. Um, so we've got a bunch of stuff there. So uh, if anyone is in the Twin Cities, Minnesota area, come stop by the Western suburbs and help support the uh, wildlife relief for uh, Hawaii, for Maui. Yes, that would such a great cause. I hope it does really well. You have any plans then now that it's starting to become fall? Do you have like tumbling or anything that you're going to start doing? So actually, so I, I started my first tumble this summer from like two years and I wasn't too terribly disappointed in that turnout. Okay. Um, I've had worse turnouts. So, I, you know, for my first time in two years, I was 
satisfied with the results. Of course, I know I can get them better. And so I started the next batch. And so I had a, I have like tons of like five gallon buckets of fluorescent acetylate from Arkansas that are um, about that size, all like quarry cut. And um, I, I thought, gosh, they're so pretty when, you know, they're, you know, fluorescent. Um, I'd like to see them polished. So I threw those babies in and I let them sit in stage one for like two weeks. I took them out and they're, they were rough cut. I took them out and I'm like, Oh my gosh, they are gorgeous. And just (laughs) stage one. Yeah. So I'm really excited to see the results of those. I would love to just, I mean, if those turn out really great, I might just like, just keep cycling them, you know, throughout the winter. Um, But uh, you know, then, you know, I'll have to bring those in because I I do those in my garage because then everything will freeze over and, you know, when it gets cold. So, so I've got a few more months. I can still play with those outside a bit, but, um, but so, yeah, I'll definitely be doing some tumbling, probably more than I anticipated now that I've seen these results. Um, I took mm-hmm. a lot of uh, tips from Kelsey when we had her on. I was like channeling, you know, her tumbling goddess <laughs> in, 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 um, in, in my work, my, my next batch here. So I'm, I'm thinking they'll turn out pretty good. Great. I, I do want to say I did forget to mention this. Um, so this weekend, as I talked about, I was in Montana. Um, it was a trip with the Minnesota Mineral Club. And I have to give a shout out to one of our viewers, uh, Sarah, who is a mom. And she actually doesn't watch our live episodes. Obviously, being a mom, she's really busy. But she catches the replays and found us by trying to see if there was a rock hounding podcast. Oh, and that's awesome. learned about the Minnesota Mineral Club from the podcast and joined our trip because of that and she had a great time um found a bunch of agates so i just got to give a shout out to uh to sarah who made the trick from uh sioux falls south dakota out to montana ah that's great love the connection that was created there that's awesome so we have an exciting show tonight. Um, our guest, Bethany Burke, um, aka BK Bones. Uh, she is a paleontologist from Texas. Um, excited to have her on. I've been corresponding um, with Bethany, geez, since February, you know, for quite a while. And um, so it's been a, a long t- time in the making to have her on tonight. And um, our exciting part of the show is Bethany um, wanted to ID some specimens from our viewers. And so we had um, viewers submit uh, specimens that they'd like identify that they didn't know what they were. And uh, Bethany has reviewed those and she will be sharing those IDs tonight. So that will be really cool to just kind of see, you know, often, you know, when we post on Facebook groups, we're like, you know, what is this? What is that? And, you know, we don't really get always the opportunity to hear a professional, you know, review, um, you know, specimens through via a picture and, you know, tell us what they think it is. So that'll be really cool to have that done for these viewers and just to see kind of some some of the thought process that she had when she was IDing them. So I'm excited to, for that portion of the show. Yeah. Is there anything you wanted to add before we get her on? I'm so excited. <laughs> no. Um, and she's got some great TikToks too. Um, oh, so yes. Follow her, you know, BK Bones if, if you aren't already. Um, and yeah, stick around um, for identification later. And then also just a reminder, everyone that's watching, if you've got questions that you think of during the show, please post them in the comments um, so we can 
ask those as well. Yes. But yes. Yeah. So let's bring on yeah. uh, Bethany. Yes. Hey, Bethany. Welcome to Rockhound Talk Live. We're happy to have you. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. It's been a long time in the making. <laughs> yes, it has. So tell us, how are you today? How is the weather down there? Is it beaming hot? Yeah, you know, being in Texas, it's been at least 100 for um, two-ish months now. Wow, um, like consecutively. Wow. Yeah, there's been a lot of fires and, and all of that. But today, we hit like a nice 96 for like Whoa. an hour. <laughs> and it was fantastic. So I have been inside. <laughs> you, you're, you've been chilling out today. You got oh, yeah. you guys got below 100. <laughs> yeah, nice and good. <laughs> so Bethany, we would love to know a bit about your journey. Um, could you share with us um, just, you know, from the earliest ages of, you know, when you started to realize that you love dinosaurs and fossils and um, just kind of take us through your journey and your story? Yeah, sure. Like I'm repping one of my many dinosaur dresses um, that I have. I got so many at this point, but, you know, going back some of my first memories actually are of dinosaur type things. And I've wanted to be a paleontologist since I was three years old when I learned about Mary Anning from a little like children's book. And for, you know, viewers who might not be familiar with Mary Anning, she's considered to be the first female paleontologist and one of the first actual paleontologists because, you know, geology has this long storied, you know, path that has been a pretty established science for a long time, the actual profession of paleontology, not just the collection of fossils, which of course goes back to the beginning of, you know, human history, we find in, uh, you know, archaeological kind of like situations and caves and stuff like that, um, you know, pretty necklaces and things like that made out of ammonite fossils, yeah. but paleontology in and of itself only started in the 1800s. So Mary Anning uh, lived in Lyme Regis in England, and she is actually the inspiration uh, behind She Sells Seashells down by the seashore. It was actually oh. Mary Anning in the front of her house on the beach. She was selling fossilized ammonites because Lyme Regis is on the Jurassic Coast, which is one of the absolute best places in the entire world to go hounding for ammonites. So I learned about her and I, I was just like, yes, yes, that yeah. should be, that should be me. And so I've always, always loved fossils and being in a, a place, Texas, you know, millions of years ago was under what is called the Western Interior Seaway. So almost all of Texas, the entire like middle of it, at least was underwater. So even in just huge cities like Dallas, you will find fantastic fossils. There are some parks in Dallas and in Austin that have remained untouched because they have like theropod prints. So some of our, you know, carnivorous oh, wow. dinosaur prints So all over Texas it was, I feel like a lot of people have like their dinosaur phase and sometimes it doesn't go away. Being in a place like, you know, growing up in Texas, it wasn't really an option to get away from fossils. It's always in the news. 
you know, that makes national and global news. There is just a bunch more dinosaur prints discovered up in Glen Rose, Texas because of the drought. It's the only good thing that's come of the drought. <laughs> um, but yeah, I decided that I wanted to be a paleontologist. And I actually went to, to college for a degree in research. My undergraduate degree is in analytical and theoretical um, rhetorical communications. It's a very long way to say research. <laughs> it's it's very long way to say that. And my I'm actually going to be pursuing my master's in uh, preparation and museum studies. So that's that's going to be pretty pretty neat. Um, for for paleontology journey in general, right now I act as the primary researcher, the primary investigator for the marine reptile site at Texas Through Time in Hillsborough, Texas. And last summer, I've actually, as of yesterday, I've been home for an entire year. I was one of the interns at the Montana Dinosaur Center, which in uh, Bynum, Montana, houses the first baby dinosaur skeleton that was ever discovered. So going all over, just doing it. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah, I was reading about, you know, uh, your education and all just all the things that you've done and i'm like wow you really have been all over doing it all like you go girl <laughs> so, so that that kind of comes to what i was going to ask you so you sent some photos um mm -hmm. so i was going to pull those photos up here yeah so yeah can you tell us a little bit about these two photos yes yeah, so um in the blue right there um, on the left for me. I don't know what it is for the viewers, but um, that is a fun picture from Montana, standing outside of the Montana Dinosaur Center and all over my leg for my, you know, geology peeps is a bunch of wet bentonite clay. Um, oh. I fell in a hole <laughs> <laughs> um, all the way up right there to do above, you know, my middle thigh that it's one of my favorite pictures of me. Like oddly enough, I have these beautiful engagement photos that, you know, my, my fiance and I took, and this is the photo that I have hanging in my office. of me. <laughs> um, but I, I just felt like, I was like, wow, like this is the field. This is what people need to see. You're yeah, going right. to fall in holes. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and um, then there uh, on the right is actually at the marine reptile site. That is a plesiosaur that we're uncovering. And I'm teaching a close kiddo um, just about what we were seeing there kind of erupting from the ground. And sadly, they have, you know, eroded in the middle, but there's some nice spines, this nice vertebrae of plesiosaur right there and it's very hot then as well I'm nice on top of that plesiosaur um okay it's, it's but like in a very focused way i wasn't stepping on anything how so that, how, how big is is that like is it that is that the whole area that you can see that what you're standing on yes um an interesting thing that not many people know uh, even paleontologists um, that don't directly work with marine reptiles is with theropod dinosaurs. So, you know, immediately thinking of T-Rex or Albertosaurus, things like that. There is something called the death pose, which is that famous thing that everyone is seeing. 
they throw their head back and, you know, their, their arms are up. For our marine reptiles, especially plesiosaurs, they kind of fold. So they'll kind of like curl into themselves. And right now, part of my job is calculating how much spinal material do we have? What can I reference? And then mathing what it's going to be straightened out. That creature is very large. It's probably, we have at least already six feet of stuff there, but that's mm. only a percentage of the animal. And um, it's looking like this could be a new species of animal. So I'm kind of, you know, this is my first paper that I'm lead on and I've been thrown a little bit in the deep end <laughs> <laughs> for that. But, and then below that, you know, so on top there, I'm standing on, you know, the, the plesiosaur and on bottom is actually my first paleontology dig. And I wanted to include that because um, that was me in field paleo 101 um, mm. in that class. And what's fun is that material right there, if I remember correctly, was sauropod material. I believe that is also some, you know, spine, some vertebrae and... Was that in Texas? That one was in Colorado. Um, okay. And so it was very hard, hard rock, um, Jurassic. And we were working in what's known as like a WSA, a, a wildlife study area. And it was on BLM land, so Bureau of Land Management, which means that we weren't allowed to use any machines or anything mechanical. It was all done by hand. And that also meant that we as students were the sled dogs to move that <laughs> 650 pound jacket. They made that sled and it, they tied us. I think there was five of us by the end of it. They tied it to us and all of our TAs and our professor were like, go, go, go. And it was about <laughs> a little over a fourth of a mile. <laughs> wow. Yes. Um, the next photo right there I wanted to include, again, in Montana. And I'm holding the dental battery of an adolescent uh, hadrosaur right there. Probably maybe oh. myosaura. Not sure. Um, that site still needs some dating done. There is an ash layer, so they'll be figuring that out in the future. But yes, it was a, a juvenile, just a little kid, little kid hadrosaur. <laughs> Uh, I'm yeah. not sure if these are all from the same um, location. The, the green, that is Colorado again. That is a rib of okay. something indeterminate. And then the next um, photo I wanted to include because one of my big things as a paleontologist is I love doing prep. I love prepping out, um, you know, the bones. Basically, I put puzzles together and the puzzles happen to be animals. <laughs> Um, and that right there is there was a bit of a, a tragic situation. We use a lot of, you know, in, in rock handing and paleontology, a lot of chemicals, a lot of, you know, assistance needs, you know, to be put into excavating and, and treating these materials. Some glue had not dried. Glue does whatever it wants. Sometimes it's too cold and it doesn't want to dry. Sometimes it's too hot. And it also doesn't want to dry. So the one of the other students actually had put the foil to protect the fossil over it without the glue drying. 
So all oh. of the foil stuck to that element. And oh. how I figured out I wanted to do detail prep is I spent about, I don't know, two hours getting all of the foil off of that piece. I believe it was the head of a humerus and just a little dental pick getting get it out as much as I could wow. in, in the field. Um, but that, you know, I was already pursuing paleontology, but that was what started the the preparator side of, um, you know, my, my job. It's right there. And then the next one, I like showing this very silly picture. This was actually taken about an hour before I got a concussion. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> From, oh my goodness. From, did you fall or was there a falling rock? How did you get a concussion? Somebody dropped a shovel on my head. Oh, oh no. <laughs> Heat exhaustion is a thing, guys. And, you know, when, yes, you're out, it really is. when you're out hounding, you really need to take care of yourself. I always say hydrate or dihydrate. And it was mm -hmm. just a, it was a situation that was kind of like unavoidable. It was the end of the day even, you know, so the, it slipped from the, the ledge and then I was under and hit me in the head. But I like showing this picture because I feel like this is a very telling picture of the realities of paleontology. I have not showered in about seven days <laughs> in this in this picture because we were seven hours away from civilization. The closest town was actually a Hutterite colony and the Hutterites are very similar to the Amish. So not like that would have been helpful. I like using tools that someone could get every day. Paleontologists, we like taking tools made for other professions and using them for ourselves. One of the biggest things, dental picks, but also brushes are very expensive. Like archaeological and paleontology brushes can be very expensive if that's what they're made for. Because some people more so in like the older generation really care about, you know, this is a hog hair brush and that's going to get the most into this type of sediment. I don't, mm. I don't really care. I had a thought back in probably 2021 and I was like, Hmm, makeup is fancy dirt that you move around on your face. So why can't I buy cheap makeup brushes and use them in the field. And that's what I did. That yellow one yes. actually has SpongeBob SquarePants on it. Um, <laughs> so I, I like to show that paleo is, is more accessible than, than people tend to think. That's cool. And then there's my good friend, Lacey. She is a, a paleo student. I think she will be dropping by to, to watch. If you're already here, Lacey, hello. I love you. Um, we're there with a bunch of um, sauropod elements some verts and indeterminate chunks and then there is a a nice um little part of a dental battery some teeth again from a hadrosaur i have mm. an uncanny ability to find teeth uh they're one of the only things i don't care about <laughs> for really dinosaurs. i say that they are always fascinating they are always fascinating but one thing that I, I like to get out there. I see so many specimens like up for sale for like dinosaur teeth. And that is, you know, can be totally fine because they aren't super important in the way that Myasaura, uh, which was one of our duckbill, our hadrosaur 
um, dinosaurs had 300 teeth and it lost them every 42 days. So there is teeth. It is teeth are actually the most common vertebrate fossil that you find. Okay. That um, tooth that I'm holding right there, those little two, that was the day that I had my record number of teeth. I found 23 tooth elements in one day wow. um, and probably a five hour, you know, period. So teeth are the the most common um, and I'm really good at finding them. <laughs> I don't know why. So speaking of teeth, I'm guessing these were, are they some kind of carnivore? I care about this one. Um, okay. It's all the same tooth. Um, it's all the same tooth. And this is what is, this is a theropod. So one of our meat eater um, tooth. This is from Montana and is probably from a Gorgosaurus, which is pretty similar to, to T-Rex. It's big. It's scary. All that. Um, it did have more functional arms and it filled the same kind of ecological niche of T-Rex for its its time and location. This so, tooth, so would that be older than the T-Rex? Or there is it have to be older if it's not Cretaceous? It, yes. So it's the the time periods are pretty comparable um to so the the rock and the the age layers. There is overlap with theropods. What we can think of it is so in Montana and everywhere, but just for this specific tooth, you have something that's kind of interesting that we don't see many times anymore um, in, in our modern animals, that there can be multiple apex predators in the same kind of environment. So even, okay. even though there was the same time period, like there was some overlap with, you know, these two animals, they, it was like if you had a mountain lion over here and then just, you know, drive an hour and a half and instead of mountain lions, you suddenly have a bunch of wolves. They are both apex predators. They both do the same things. They lived at the same time in similar areas, but, you know, they they didn't overlap in in their like localities, but they did the same thing at the same time. So T-Rex right. and, and Gorgosaurus are often compared. T-Rex is most often um, compared to things like Albertosaurus. So there, there's that. This was also pretty close to, to Canada. We could see Canada from where this was dug up. We got to wave at Canada. It was great. <laughs> like, hello. This tooth actually is very special to me. I did not get to keep it. Um, it's a museum specimen. So it was taken back for research at, um, for the dinosaur centers collection, but it actually, and it's not going to show up on camera. That tooth gave me a pretty gnarly scar on this hand because, oh, wow. um, theropod teeth have serrations on them, just like knives. Oh, um, so I, I think it's pretty cool. It healed a lot better than I wanted it to. I wanted to have like a really gnarly scar, <laughs> um, for the rest of my life, um, on it, but you can barely tell now. Um, and, yeah, ooh, I, I should okay. I should bring up um, if we've got time at the end uh, yeah. on our mineral club trip, someone found a juvenile T Rex jaw that has teeth still attached to it, and I got some close up views where you can see the serrations on the teeth. So I'll have to find that. Maybe we can throw yeah, it in at the end if we have some that's time. So cool, yeah, yeah, that'd be neat. So yeah, that that tooth is 
my favorite tooth. <laughs> That's great. So you, you mentioned, so you've been um, like Texas, Colorado, Montana. Have you dug then in other states? Yes. Um, so how it's, it's kind of set up is I have traveled lots of places to go like fossil hunting and prospecting. I've gone all the way to England and I've gone to, to Florida as well. I did some in Canada. Canada was kind of a, a precarious type situation because even with rock hounding, but especially with, um, you know, vertebrate fossils, Canada has incredibly strict laws. You can collect anything on the surface in Canada as far as fossils, okay. which pretty standard. It's the same, you know, kind of most states here, but you have to be with a museum or a university to dig for okay. dinosaurs, even if it is your own land. So oh, it's okay. it's very protected. They have the longest standing and the strictest fossil um, kind of protections and, and laws in place. So I did get to go there as a professional and visit some friends that worked at museums, but I did not get to dig there. I kind of count it, you know, as working there, uh, but as someone who is not a Canadian national, uh, next time I go there, I am working with um, a museum and I will be able to like put my hands under the dirt, not just big stuff. Okay. But, but yeah, my, my dig sites have been in Texas, Montana, and Colorado, multiple locations in each. Um, but I've been all all over it's been great <laughs> so so do you have like a bucket list of somewhere that you like would love to dig yes um i can't wait for um canada that's going to be great i very much want to go to australia i have a lot of friends and colleagues in australia the only thing really holding me back from there is i am very arachnophobic and they have a spider season, which is words that should not be put together. <laughs> <laughs> it rains spiders there, and that's not okay. So, um, so what would you be looking for then in Australia? I guess I don't know what dinosaurs would be there or fossils. They they have some great sauropods, so our long neck dinosaurs. They got a lot of of that going over there. They have so many creatures. What's cool about Australia is I don't work very much with mammals. I would say that I I barely work with mammals. I'm a little bit known as the marine paleontologist that hates camels. And I'm starting to <laughs> accept that I really don't like camels. But they have so many marsupials, um, you know, fossilized in Australia. And I think that is, that is very neat, very cool. So I'd love to go to Australia. A, a bucket list bucket list would be somewhere in Mongolia. But that's Really hard to do because, again, legality things. Um, it, it would have to be like for a PhD project through some huge, you know, multinational effort to go to Mongolia. <laughs> right. So um, the one thing I've been thinking about with some of these where you seem to just sort of know these fossils, if someone 
was looking to get more information either to start paleontology or they just have like a bunch of fossils and they want to get like some information possible identification where should they start looking or asking go to fossil forum fossil forum is an amazing resource that i've used myself frequently when it comes to a lot of mammal stuff again vertebrate animals share the same bones. We we have the, the same bones. They might look a little different, like seals have, you know, humeri that are way flatter and kind of curvier than ours, but they're they're humorous. I could not tell you one mammal from another one. Like one camel okay. from a different camel. I have no idea. So I put that on fossil forum and there's a lot of, you know, just hobbyists, but also a group of very active retired paleontologists on uh, Fossil Forum. There is also a lot of undergraduate and graduate students in paleontology from all over the world that will go on Fossil Forum looking for things that pertain to their research. And they're always happy to identify things for you. And if it happens to mesh with what they're looking for, um, you know, going forward, whether it be for a, a thesis or, or that. It's such a helpful community. And I've met a lot of people um, through there that I, you know, reference a lot and refer to for expertise. Fossil Forum, go. I've had an account there since I was like 16. Yeah, <laughs> yeah oh, I, wow. I've had experience with Fossil Forum, and it is a great site. Like I, I submitted... Um, a specimen and just it was incredible the uh, feedback and how um open people were are to reviewing the specimen and you mm -hmm. know giving their expertise so yeah i i i've had a great experience with fossil forum definitely so it's good to hear that that's something that you recommend because i yeah it was a i found it used it thought it was great but wasn't sure you know where it was you know on the level mm -hmm. of something to recommend in the community so that's a good resource mm -hmm. yeah totally so I, I do see some uh, questions coming in. Um, we'll get to those in a second here. Um, I do have one question that I feel like I have to ask. Jurassic Park or Land Before Time? Land Before Time. I love Land Before Time so much. Uh, I was laughing with a friend of mine because Land Before Time technically I think is still going. It went on... Okay very well into like the mid 2000s they were still you know releasing in the franchise what i remember is the very <laughs> traumatic 90s movies mm -hmm. um and so i was like uh, my friend just had a baby and i was like your child is never gonna know the pain of watching spoiler alert littlefoot's mother oh <laughs> <laughs> i love jurassic park i do and i watch it in a way that i remove myself really from oh that's that's not right i do not like jurassic world i love jurassic park i do not care for jurassic world <laughs> I, I guess is there so speaking kind of on that too do you is, is there any movie that you've seen about dinosaurs that you had like that would give you like your worst like award to like that movie was there anyone that really stuck out that was like these dinosaurs are from different time periods or they're mm. acting ways that wouldn't be that would like, is there anything that you've seen that's like just really bad as far as dinosaur movies go there? I mean, I am the biggest like 
adversary to the Jurassic world. <laughs> um, there's a lot, especially so um, for viewers, I am a Mosasaur expert. So marine reptiles, specifically Mosasaurs. And the travesty of that Mosasaurus that is in um, the Jurassic world franchise is horrible. And for some reason has osteoderms. So like armored plating, like you would find on a crocodile or an alligator on a Mosasaur. Uh, don't like that there is a very when you describe like the word like what do you think is like the worst you know what you can think of for dinosaur movies i think of a very specific scene in prehistoric planet from um the, like the apple tv series it's very well animated there's great i know a lot of people that worked on the show the scene where the triceratops go into an underground tunnel system to lick salt off of clay walls haunt okay. my dreams it is not based in anything elephants do that but um that that is probably like the worst um i i i don't know um maybe there's some proprietary like gonna come out in a couple years like bam information but i've never met a single paleontologist that likes that scene or has any idea where that scene came from <laughs> i do i do i just thought of one other question yeah which it's sort of related to paleontology. So when I was in college getting my undergraduate degree, I had a professor, uh, shout out to Larry Jones, who <laughs> was probably the best professor at my college. Um, he told us about a paper that he wrote where we were talking about different fluvial geomorphology and mm. how you know rivers will change over time. And he told us that he wrote a paper that he termed a, a, a phrase called dinovulsion, which would be that the dinosaurs, if they, you know, because some of them are fairly large, if they mm. were walking in certain, you know, packs or groups or herds or whatever you want to call them, could affect the flow then of a river where the river could sort of, you know, evolve or whatever um mm. from dinosaurs so do you is that something that you then would give credit to for what you've seen i actually would i would because we do have you know something tantamount to that in a modern day when there are large migrations of terrestrial mammals like we see in um the you know african plains every year there there is treadways that you know these animals are just following over and over and they will reshape the land in which you know water wants to return to the ocean and so when there is a path already made um i don't know specifically like how in depth your professor got but we do see animals shaping the land in such a way that rivers will follow so you know there could be a, a, some credit to that actually <laughs> Okay, yeah, I'm sure if you search Dinovulsion, you will find his, his uh, paper. So we'll take some um, questions from some of the viewers. Um, it looks like Rookie Gold Prospector, um, he was curious if, what you think about the Boneyard Alaska and all the mammoths they found. Yes, mammoths, mammoths are cool. Um, they have a, a great global presence. Um, but specifically North American mammoths uh, rock my world. I love them. Boneyard and bone bed are very interesting words. In Alaska, what, what he's referring to 
the the boneyard. When it comes to ice and preservation thereof for fossils, we we've all heard about, you know, no matter what circle you run in, even if you know nothing about fossils or, or anything, every couple of years they pull something amazing out of the permafrost in Siberia. And they're like, oh, it's a baby mummy mammoth, that type of thing. There's something kind of similar-ish happening in Alaska. I think it's very cool. Part of the the thing with Alaska is the conditions there are are so harsh that it can be a little complicated to work with. What I know is very base about that site, but I think it is so cool. It's very tragic when you think about the logistics, but mass dyings fascinate me. Um, I think that's really gnarly. <laughs> so is is that kind of similar then? Because I've heard in, I guess, like you mentioned Siberia, like Russia, that because of the climate changing and it's getting warmer, that some of the permafrost is melting. Um, I heard, I don't, I, I this was like years ago, but I thought I had heard that because ivory is illegal, that they yes. were actually getting like mammoth tusks to then sell yeah. as ivory. Is that true? That is 100% true. Yes. Um, that is, that is a actual big problem uh, because it does bypass all of the international excavation and exportation um, laws. Mammoth ivory is a, a huge thing. I actually just saw a concert on Sunday um, here in Texas. And for some reason at the huge, it was an outdoor venue. They had a like rock, you know, tumble and, and grab, fill your bag type thing. And there was um, like mammoth tusk on there was like one of the things that you could potentially scoop and put it in your bag. And I'm like, yep. Huh. That check. <laughs> wow. Yep. Ooh. Have I seen the new... Sites. Yeah, so yeah. so Mike says, I think you mentioned this earlier that there's a new uh, track site in Texas that was found. Yes. yes. Um, so there is a formation of rock called the Glen Rose Limestone. And it is perhaps, you know, one of the most famous track bearing formations in the world. They're so cool. Basically, anywhere you find Glen Rose Limestone, you find these tracks, which is really cool. The new trackway is near the Glen Rose Dinosaur um, State Park. So um, about 125 years ago, a bunch of settlers found a dry creek bed that was chock full of uh, dinosaur tracks and some unique dinosaurs have actually been identified from those tracks there in Glen Rose, Texas. Each year, unfortunately, as Texas's droughts get progressively worse, uh, more of that riverbed recedes. And then we also have uh, flash floods every, you know, rainy season because we go through such devastating droughts and they will move all of the gravel and suddenly you'll find like 250 more dinosaur tracks. Oh, I, I actually worked cool. as, yeah, the paleontologist at a similar um, site um, with Glen Rose limestone about an hour away from me. And the same thing happened. There's a little museum. They have 350 dinosaur tracks. And then 
a couple of years ago, there was a drought and then flash flood. And now there is a state park there because they found 250 more dinosaur tracks wow. on the other side of the river. So cool. Texas, every year, it's like, ooh, when are, when are we going to drop the new dinosaur tracks? You know, I I was born in Texas. I lived there for till I was eight or nine. And I didn't know that there was this amount of fossil discovery until yeah. I started following you. And I'm like, holy crap, like that's incredible. Like everywhere. <laughs> I, I, like, you know, I, I have family down there and I'm just like, wow, this is a lot. There's so many places I want to start um you know, just exploring, just from following your content and stuff. So it's good stuff. We've got, um, let's see, uh, Joe here wants to know if you've discovered anything unexplainable, a new species, uh, any kind of anything new that we never knew existed. Yes, I'm working on uh, potentially two new species of marine reptile. Um, we the plesiosaur is definitely something that I have no reference for as far as I know right now, at least for the time period, trying to figure that out. And the mosasaur that I'm working on is showing some weird presentation that should not be there. So we're either looking at a pathological individual, so a an animal that has some sort of disease or you know, maybe congenital malformation, perhaps it had dwarfism, something like that, because um, what is is there in the rock that we've been uncovering is not vibing with what is documented. So working on potentially new species, again, how lucky am I in the first paper that I'm leading, yeah. there's just all these new things, which does make it a little bit more intimidating. <laughs> and how, how many years have you been working on this research? Um, so for this site, we actually just started this year. Um, so luckily right now we're working on the skull of the Mosasaur and that was a very heavy, um, jacket, fossil jacket to get out. And the plesiosaur, the plesiosaur is still in storage because it's, ooh, mm, 1500 pounds. It, wow. Yeah. Wow. They, they had to move it with a forklift. <laughs> So, yeah. So I, I have a few questions. Um, so thinking back to Texas, if you could, I don't know, pick maybe two or three or, or even just one, what are the best uh, places to collect in Texas for fossils? Best places to collect in Texas. Okay. So Texas is a little complicated. Our state is primarily privately owned, which is not exactly the norm for uh, states. Just because Texas has been around for so long, um, owned by, you know, six different countries, all of that. So there's a lot of families that have land here that is excessively large and only theirs. So first off, I always say, look at rocked, look at your land maps, figure out if you're going on, on private property. There are areas that I can tell you that are great. Post Oak Creek is the best place in the state that is accessible to the public to find shark teeth of all different genera. They're all over the place. You can stick your hand in that water, pull it out, get like, mm, I don't know, 20 shark teeth. It's crazy. That is the best place for shark teeth. Um, for vertebrate fossils, there is no uh, public place other than the Ladonia Fossil Park that you can mm -hmm. take vertebrate fossils. 
in Texas. Sadly, tragically, and I did try to fight it, but I am just a paleontologist. I am not the government. Um, the state has made a dam and Ladonia will is going to be flooded slash destroyed. Um, the, oh. the, the river slash people are just not going to be there um, as soon, basically, as, yeah. as the drought is over because um, Dallas needs water. So Ladonia mm. Fossil Park, if you're in the area, do it now. It's not going to be there in two years. Oh, wow. Yeah, unfortunately. But uh, Post Oak Creek, always going to be there. It's protected. Um, technically, so is Ladonia, but... <laughs> that's what I have to comment on that. <laughs> well, those are those. I mean, get there, get there in the next two years, guys. Yep. <laughs> um, so you like to um, prepare fossils, and I, I'm sure that it's um, a lot of stats. Is there any way that you could kind of summarize just just thinking about a basic fossil, like how you would prepare it? Yeah, so fossil preparation is a lot of fun. There are a couple different methods. If the sediment is very soft, you can do it all by manual prep. So basically just sitting there with your dental picks and your brushes and going in all the little nooks and crannies and getting all of that out for hard rocks. So we're, we're talking about like Morrison formation, extremely hard sandstones and limestones and evil things. Um, I use an air scribe, which is basically like a little kind of a cross between a mini jackhammer and a jeweler's like inscriber type tool. And it's a, just like a little mini drill and getting um, the things off of that. It's a slow process, but you're, you're moving the, the matrix around. Um, you also, we use acids. Acid prep is a thing. If, um, the sediment is, you know, very sandy, very silty, but still dense. So you can just pop it in a big old bucket and throw some like, you know, at home, you can do vinegar. At the museum, we mm. use gnarly chemicals um, that I I'm not even sure what they are half the time, but that's one way you can prep. The most common thing, though, when you see like the prep videos on TikTok and YouTube, they're using mm -hmm. those little pens. That's an air scribe. And it is loud. It is loud. You are using a, a mini drill. Um, so you've got to do um, ear protection. But what I do is I'm given a some sort of specimen by a private individual or um, whichever museum that I'm working at, or even I find it myself. I evaluate what sort of rock I'm working with. I like to say that I know the exact minimum about rocks that I need to know. I am a biological paleontologist. Um, so I have all of the, I know geology, but very <laughs> like, you will have to strong arm me to take, you know, volcanology, volcanology would be cool, but like structural geology. No, thank you. <laughs> um, so it, I figure out what kind of rock that I'm working with. If it's something where I can just throw like some vinegar or acid on it and it eats away stuff for mm -hmm. me, that's great. There's a lot of gluing in fossil prep because things crack, um, things mm -hmm. break. You got to put them back or, together. Sometimes I'm just handed a big old bag of stuff and it will say tooth on it. 
and it's like 5 million pieces and I have to sit there mm, and it can wow. take months where I'm just, okay, there's, there's this little, little piece. And if I yeah, can't I've, find, go, go ahead. I was going to say, I've noticed too, that it, um, from the dinosaur digs that I've done in Montana, mm -hmm. it seems like the sagebrush really loves to find where the fossils are. And I like I, I found a triceratops horn and it was, it was right under a sagebrush and it came out in pieces because that bush, it must be, I'm guessing, because the fossil has some kind of a pathway for water yes. that the, the roots then just love to just go right through and they don't they don't care. Yes. Um, in, you know, quick abridge bio terms, your bones are wet at all times. Yeah. When you yeah. are alive, your bones are wet. And so these, you know, capillaries in these, um, basically we have these tubular pathways where bone marrow is produced, yeah, all of that. Um, those are moist always. Mm -hmm. Fossils, we're looking at rock. We're looking at based on where they are in the mineralization process, just dried out. These structures are still there. They're dried out. Bone takes in moisture and what loves moisture? roots so you will yeah. always find roots dug into bones because that is a surefire way to have moisture collected in a enclosed space for a plant because all that moisture is going into the fossil so uh, plants love fossils roots are extremely difficult to get out when prepping a fossil you have to do it by hand with tweezers glue on hand pull slowly. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's not going to go. Okay. Glue. Try to, try to pull. So yeah, sage is evil. Don't like <laughs> sagebrush. It's not, wow. not my favorite. <laughs> just thinking about just the time, the patience you must have. I mean, it, it, I couldn't do it. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just impressed that you could you know, 500 pieces and spend, you know, months putting that together. I mean, although that incredibly rewarding, I just, you've got Here. some incredible patience. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I have another question. Yeah. So thinking about um, uh, what has been your experience as a female paleontologist in, 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 in regards, you know, and if you want to be frank, I would love to just hear like, you know, positive, negative, you know, what have you experienced being a female in, in the field? Yeah. So that is a great question. And it's something that I get asked a lot. Um, as someone who has a social media presence, it's a lot of the times I get from teenage girls, from, you know, moms of girls that love fossils and paleontology and dinosaurs. And they're like, what do we do? Um, luckily now there is a lot of people to look up to in paleontology that are women or, you know, not like non-binary presenting, uh, people in the field. And that is great. There was definitely a time I have hit a pretty good spot of starting my career where there's a lot more women in the field. 10 years ago, it was still a huge struggle. And not to say that it isn't. Frankly, I have unfortunately encountered some sexism. And that really is from what we call the old guard. And it's mm -hmm. the people that have been, you know, in the field for a very long time. There are some paleontologists that have been involved since the 70s, you know, that are men that I know. Amazing people, the biggest advocates. They do not care. Um, uh, not to say they, they don't care about you, but really they don't care about you 
in a personal level, as long as you are helping the science, they're like, great, do whatever you want. You're, you're fantastic. And those are great people. But kind of the, the idea that if a woman is going to be a paleontologist, she is going to be a museum curator. There is some of that mm. still there. Um, but women in the field coming out, doing great. Go. It's more now, unfortunately, an ageism thing that it is hit because we have hit a place in, um, you know, where where we are as a society. There are more opportunities for young people to be involved on the ground floor as citizen scientists going on digs. And that and sometimes that can translate over to college credit. So you get a full blown like degreed paleontologist at 21 and no one's going to want to to give them a, a chance on that. That's mm -hmm. kind of the situation. Women are coming up in paleontology and as geosciences uh, scientists in general, which is great. But it is unfortunately yeah. still a struggle. I do think that probably, you know, in in my lifetime, I'm going to see you know, a great, a great shift um, in, in the, the voices of geoscience. It's already happening, which is. That's encouraging. That's mm -hmm. good to hear. Yeah. That's good to hear. Um, so let's get, um, well, I do see there's some more questions. We'll come back to your questions. Let's get into the IDs. Let's um, look at uh, some IDs here and we'll just go through each slide. Um, Mike, I know you're watching. Um, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and, and, and start. Yes. So this first little friend on the left, this is an ammonite. So that was a, uh, a type of cephalopod. So we think our, our squids and our octopus type friends, this had a shell. It was great. You see them in media all the time. They're the spiral shell squids. They're great. They're awesome. Is, I love them. Is is Nautilus? Is that like the the modern version of yes, it? Yes, Nautilus is the the like the modern, you know, almost unchanged version of an ammonite. And this um, specific species right here is, if I can remember how to pronounce it correctly, Eopachydiscus. Um, I could not. They they get very boiled down, very specific an amazing thing about ammonites as fossils is you always hope to find them when you're on a site because they are index fossils, which means mm -hmm. that we can use them to help identify where our site is in, in time. We do not have the ability in like dinosaur paleontology and, you know, marine reptile paleontology for the Mesozoic, where all of our cool, famous friends are hanging out. And before, carbon dating is not a thing for them. Carbon does not have long enough half-life to be able to even remotely get to the ages that we need to to start dating those types of fossils. But ammonites were very widespread, but also lived in very specific locales and time periods. Some species of ammonites were around for only, say, 2 million years. So you have mm. a very close snapshot of where you are in time. Very, very lucky on my site is that one of um, the other paleontologists found an ammonite actually touching one of the plesiosaur elements. So we got like a real, real good idea of where we are since we don't have an ash layer. So 
Ammonites, uh, fantastic. Duck Creek is very well known in Texas for having ammonites and echinoids. This one is gorgeous. They're usually all kind of meh, crumply, I, I guess, kind of when you look at limestones, the just acidity of rainwater getting all those crevices. These um, markings on this ammonite are actually how it would have looked in life. These structures are kind of how it was chilling out. So Eopachydiscus. So is is so I heard that as far as like ammonites go, you can tell the species by like the pattern of the sutures. Yes. Is that true? It is absolutely one hundred percent true. Sutures okay. and how they are, so how the animal is connected. Um, they do like have the shells have segments. You kind of think of them like a worm. Um, when it's it's all you can tell different species of worms apart by the number of mm -hmm. segmentations on their body. It's the same. Okay, so, okay, this ammonite has, you know, these six sutures. Okay, that means it's, it's at least in this family, oh, these sutures are this thick and are this wiggly, which means it's this okay. species. Ammonites are literally fantastic for learning about the environment um, of, of the, the paleo earth. So I love ammonites. Yay. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. All okay. right. So we have the next one here from this was submitted by Mary Lee. I'm not sure if Mary Lee is watching tonight, but um, I know that if she's not, she will watch later. So she wants to know, is this a fossil? This is a layered type of question. Looking at it, I mean, what I'm saying, it's not a fossil. This is a nodule. And it could also be something like a concretion. So just a very tight like tightly compacted, like mineral type formation that happened quite frequently in geology. What I'm seeing here though, if this were say in England, if I had found this on um, the Jurassic close, I would instantly take a chisel to it because what I like to say about concretions and ooids, but Again, I like to know the minimum about geology that I need to. <laughs> um, I, I like to call concretions in these nodules the pearls of the geology ah. world. Pearls, you know, in our oyster friends starts as a tiny little speck of dust or a grain of sand. And the, the pearl, as we know it, forms around it as this kind of encasing protective measure. That can happen with, with concretions and nodules that there is something in the center a lot of times that it forms around. Sometimes it can be a speck of dust or at the site I worked at in Montana, it was always dinosaur bones encased in iron. So this wall, I'm not, it, it's not a fossil from what I can see, but it is something mm -hmm. that you could crack open and it could be mm -hmm. 5 billion different things. It could also okay. be a geode perhaps. Um, I, I don't know, but if fossil. So maybe she should, your recommendation yeah, is to crack, it, crack open. it open. Yeah, crack right. it open. I'm not I, seeing I, fossil, but. I would say as a geologist, that does look like a concretion. Yeah, um, that was and, her other, that was her other, when she uh, commented, it was either in private message or whatever, but that was her, uh, her other thought was it was a concretion. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I will say I, <laughs> I'm not in paleontology, but we did have people bring in things that they were certain were dinosaur pieces. We, uh, we had, um, the one that sticks out to me is we had someone in Montana bring us some really fine like druzy calcite and they told us it was dinosaur skin and when we told them no they told us we were wrong so i'm sure you've gotten that <laughs> quite a bit too 
Yes. Uh, I get dinosaur eggs all the time. And it's always. <laughs> oh. And I, I feel like the villain because it's always children. And oh. a big thing that I do is I am a children's like paleo educator. So I'm talking to like at least like 300 kids a week. And it's always I found a dinosaur egg and I always have to say, no, friend, you didn't. Oh. I always say it's a very cool rock and you should get an adult to crack it open because it could be it could be a geode. But there's only seven places in the world you can find dinosaur eggs and nests. And uh, Texas is not one of them. One of them. Yeah. Um, oh, this one was awesome. Yes. OK, so. The first two. I know what this, these are. The last one, mm -hmm. the third one, the, the rightmost. I'm going to come out and say, I'm not a fish person. I have no idea what that is. Um, because fish, there are so many of them. So many of them. Uh, my friend's site, it was in, she had a 30 by 40 um, meter area. And they discovered 15 new species of fish. Because um, fish die all at the same time a lot of the time in very mm -hmm. protected places. I do know that these first two images, these are gar. These are gar. Gar as a, a type of fish has have changed very little over millions and millions of years. They have very special scales. Um, and you, you can see a lot of that presentation right there. They also have very pointy snoots, um, very indicative um, of certain types of, of fish is the tail flare and very severe snout areas. But so those first two are, are that far. The last one is just a fish. I can say that. Okay. Is a fish. <laughs> um, but fish really it comes down to someone in paleontology that works with fish i can say do fish they, yeah, there, do they there have was... a special name do they like someone who specializes with fish in paleontology no that oddly enough doesn't um okay because you know people who study eggs are called oologists they mm -hmm. have their own special name <laughs> but um <laughs> people that study fish you know I'm a marine paleontologist, so they fall under that. But mm -hmm. any more specific than that, um, no, I haven't okay. heard. But I do know people that specialize in fish. Oh, I was I was going to say, too, on that. Um, Mike Pales did comment and say, um, Vinctifer is the genus is of this early Cretaceous fish. That is fascinating. I'm going to file that away. I love it when people can tell fish apart. Um, if a Mosasaur didn't eat it, I know very little <laughs> about the fish. I can tell you fish. Um, and oddly enough, I can tell you like how mature that fish was based on the density of the bones, but I could not tell you what fish it was. Okay. So, so these, you these and I, Ben, here. were talking about this first one. Um, so this is an incredible type of fossil. And it stumped me for a while because... The, the color is very similar to the kind of tooth decay color that we see in mammals. Even mm -hmm. like if your dog hasn't gotten their teeth cleaned in a, a, a bit, you will start seeing this very like deepy brown mustardy type coloration. Um, 
of, of the, the dentine in their teeth. But this is a fossil. This, I think, is a stromatolite. That's what the, the rings of this look like. And a, a stromatolite, this is fossilized cyanobacterium. So this is fossilized bacterial mounds. Bacteria stromatolites are the oldest animals that we have record of. Going back over 4 billion years is the first stromatolite fossil that we find. And that is crazy. These things were extremophiles, which means that the Earth didn't have all of the cool, fun things we love about Earth, namely, you know, breathable air, water, or land. <laughs> and these things were just thriving. They were mm -hmm. thick, thick mats, basically fuzzy carpet full of, of these, you know, acid breathing, spitting out um, bacterium. And they still fossilize because they are, they did have cellular structures. They are single cell organisms. So they have cells and the ability right. to, to fossilize. And that to me looks like a stromatolite that has been, I don't know, like metamorphosed, maybe. Um, yeah. It's got yeah. some, hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I will say too, anyone in Minnesota, we've got the Mary Ellen Jasper, which is like Jasper uh, stromatolites, which I know those are like very old too. I do want to back up one quick second here. Um, Mike says, Ryacolopus? Ryacolopus is the uh, second fish is what he thinks it is. He's not sure of the spelling. So I wanted to put that up before we... Uh, go off of that um and then the the one on the right yes so that um is looks like a conglomerate of echinoids so basically looking at the same family as sea urchins and our fun yeah. little like starfish type mm -hmm. friends um what we have there are these circular structures those nodule type looking things i can see bumps and i can see kind of crevices these these concave um you know, type presentation there in the middle. That is kind of where more of the squishy bit of the animal would be. And the structure kind of this, this more, you know, thick, dense rim is where we're starting to see spikes and fun things like that um, coming out. That's what those dots are. And this would be something that would be a fun prep project. Um, a lot of the time you can, it, it wouldn't get them fully free of this mm -hmm. rock, but I would throw it in some vinegar for a couple days and it might remove some of the very thin sediment and you could see more of the, the animals, of the fossil. Yeah. That's pretty neat. Yeah, yeah. And you might wanna be careful with that too. I know in some of the locations in Michigan, people have tried to do, um, I know there's chain coral and uh, Petoskey mm -hmm. stones and some people have tried to put Petoskey stones in vinegar which are, you know, calcium carbonate. And yeah. some people say to do it for 15 minutes and some people have come back and put them in for a day and there's nothing left. So I will say mm -hmm. putting anything into an acid, check it a lot Truth. so that it doesn't Truth. disappear on you. Oh. Yep. These are my bread and butter. All right. <laughs> Ladonia. Man, I'm going to miss you, Ladonia Fossil Park. Um, humorous. Humorous. We're looking at some nice leggy army bits. Um, a very interesting thing about vertebrate fossils is that one thing that changes um, depending on kind of the environment that the animal, like its niche, whether it be terrestrial or 
semi-aquatic, aquatic, fully, the humerus and the femur, those things will flatten out and get curvy. Um, so they are a little bit difficult to be like, is that a humerus? That is a humerus. I would love to get my face real close to that to be able to tell you of what. <laughs> um, old, definitely, we're looking at that. For the North Sulphur River, where, um, you know, Ladonia is on the North Sulphur River, it has an incredible black silt. So it brings that all into the fossil, into that preservation, and that coloring is very famous for the area. I have a uh, Tylosaurus ProRigger Atlas Vert um, that is that same color, um, a little blacker, but this also could be because there's a light shining on it. Um, but yes, we're looking at a humerus. And then this next one fascinates me. I love spines. I love spines. Uh, verts are amazing and I love them. So this is a, a presentation of not articulated, but associated verts. Mm. So this is the spine of some without a scale bar, it was kind of hard to boil down. Um, if I'm honest, because I, I don't know a lot of animals. I, this is an adult of whatever it is. This is an adult. These, I, I know that this bone structure, at least what is presenting does not look like it has, you know, any give to it, not super growing all of that, but this part of the spine Oh man, it's gorgeous. Um, so when 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 you say vert, you mean like vertebrae? Vertebrae, yes, yes. Fine, okay. yes, uh, yeah. Spinal elements. Yeah, those bumps you on see, your back. Yeah, you can definitely see the the. Yeah, I mean, when you said that immediately, I'm I could totally see it. I'm yeah, just thinking yeah. about looking at the spines. I'm a nurse and I'm looking yeah, at x-rays. Right. I can totally see it. Exactly. Yeah. So quick question. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe these uh people that submitted uh see uh, Denise and Chris um they are in Texas mm -hmm. in could they reach out to you later to maybe you know if in I would love close... that okay perfect because, yeah uh Tarrant uh County, Tarrant County yeah you mm -hmm. find dinosaurs you do ah, you, find, you nice. do find dinosaurs there and this looking at that I was immediately intrigued and Tarrant um, County is Dallas right Dallas yes. area? Uh, yeah. Yes. Fort Worth? Fort Worth? Fort Worth. Dallas. To the the west. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so I guess, I'll pass that information on so they can reach out. Yeah. So going with that too, um, I guess we haven't mentioned this yet, but um, as far as social media goes, yeah. what, where are you? And I guess what's like your, your usernames? Um, so everything is BK Bones Dinos. Um, and that's... Um, I'm most active on Instagram. I'm on Instagram every day. So that's a great place to DM me. Um, my website is bkbones.com. I have several emails um, there that you can send if you um, like. I talk at elementary schools and libraries, even if no matter where you are in the world, I do a lot of virtual stuff. Um, that and those emails send any question that you have about paleo. I do stuff on TikTok and I do have a Facebook page. Um, but Instagram 
is the place to find me. And people, again, every day send me stuff to identify. And I also get a lot of um, early career paleontologists or people wanting to pursue paleontology that ask me. I've done several, several interviews um, with high school students uh, for <laughs> want to be when I grow up. And so there's a, at some point, if I, I, you know, make it, make it big, there's going to be a lot of awkward um, film of me going, I started paleontology when I was three years old. <laughs> <laughs> the list of prompts. Okay. I went to school here. Okay. All right. I don't know. <laughs> When we um when we get through these, um, I would love for you to talk more about um your the service that you offer, um, going to you know yeah. yes your presentations and stuff. We'll definitely get into that for sure. Awesome. Okay, this one, gotta say, I'm stumped. I don't know. This looks okay. more like a rock type thing um, than something that I would deal with. It does look weird. It does look weird. Um, when things get very, very niche, that's kind of where, if it's not my niche, where I tap out. Okay. Um, so I, I never that's want fair. to be like, um, you know, fossil identification is, again, something that I, I do and, you know, museums will reach out to me. What I'm lucky enough is that I have a very extensive, you know, support and, and professional like network that if I don't know what something is, I can show somebody else. And if this person, you know, wants more specific identification that they can't get on fossil forum or something like that, they're free to reach out to me on Instagram and I can find someone to tell them uh, mayhaps what it is, but I never want to lie, make myself out to be something I am not. I have no idea what that is. All right, that's fair. <laughs> All right. And then on the right. Yes. Um, so structurally, this one is fun. To me, this looks like what's a way to explain this? Perhaps a cast or an impression that was left by a fossil. Um, what we see a lot is that. Over time, as, you know, rock is moved through tectonics and erosion, you're, you know, you have the, the river carving it out and throwing it every which way, glaciers, all of that. Um, a fossil that is surrounded by this matrix will shape the rock around it. And prep, that's what it is. You're removing the matrix around it to get to the fossil. They will often come out in huge chunks and leave impressions um, uh, and will be formed in that way. You will see a lot of fish where there is no actual like skeletal elements. It is just an impression. We've all seen those like um, one of the, the pterosaurs, like a small type pterodactyl relative that it just looks like it's smushed. There is no bone there. It's an impression. If you've ever rolled a ball of Play-Doh and you've taken your finger and you put it in there and you've taken it out and the, the impression is left and you just see your thumbprint in there, but obviously your thumb isn't there. Mm -hmm. That's the, the same kind of, of thing. There could have been a fossil there that um, caused that shape um, and left this impression. It could have been part of a bigger thing, uh, but I, I can't get any more specific than that. South Carolina though, Great place for fossils. 
Nice. Yeah, I, I will say I actually had an interesting discussion um, in Montana. Um, I was actually talking with Tom Harmon, which anyone that does anything with Montana agates probably knows the name Tom Harmon. He's written so many books about Montana agates. Um, we we had a discussion with someone that was talking about limb casts versus petrified wood. Um, I think it kind of relates to fossils then where like petrified mm -hmm. wood the actual wood is replaced by minerals, whereas a limb mm -hmm. cast is the hole or the mold mm -hmm. left by the tree or the limb or whatever, and then the agate fills that hole. So I guess that's kind of what you're saying here is yeah. that like a fossil, it's replaced and turns to like stone, and then this is, you know, sort of the hole that was left. Mm -hmm. yeah, possibly tusk. I don't see tusk um, for this question. I don't see tusk personally. Um, I haven't worked extensively with tusk, but I've handled enough like in collections that I don't believe that is tusk. Ah, more Sherman. Ah, Sherman. So famous for teeth. Teeth. Yay. Uh, teeth. Teeth. <laughs> <laughs> um, again with fish and great reminder that sharks are fish. Great. Great. Um, they have so many subspecies. If you, there's been experiments that were done um, in the United States and Japan in the late 70s. Um, and it happens naturally, which is awesome. The creation of endemic animals, which means that animals that only live in one very specific place and in a very specific way. Um, you can take the same kind of fish and put it in a pond that has a pH level of this, and then the same original fish and put it in a different pond, five feet away with a different pH level, and they will turn into completely different fish. And their teeth would, will turn into completely different shapes, even oh. though 20 years ago, they were the same fish. Um, oh. So when it comes to fish, I can say teeth. <laughs> <laughs> um, if it's a goblin shark, it, it, they have very like long, you know, mm. teeth. And it's I can say goblin shark, but can I say, you know, like goblin shark specialis, imperatus, all these things. That is not my wheelhouse. I can with mosasaurs. I can tell you the sub, <laughs> like all of that of their teeth, but fish, you know, some, some like, you know, genera of, of sharks have like 15 members and that is far too many in my personal opinion. <laughs> teeth. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh the one on the right is actually what i found uh on sunday i was out in montana and this was in a tributary of a creek that uh, there's probably five feet of sediment on top of it and i dug this thing out um so i'm assuming it's an ice age ish like yeah. fossil yep this is a mammalian bone it looks bovid so we're probably looking at bison um the Ice Age in Montana. Montana really is a hotspot for fossils of all kinds. They have some of the oldest stromatolites. Um, they're in East Glacier, rocking it, looking really pretty. Then we get tons of dinosaurs, and then we get so many things from the Ice Age. And yes, this bovid, for, for sure, more of a long bone. This isn't a rib. This is an army leggy bit. Great. And then I didn't get a chance to submit mine, so I sent you pictures to look at. 
Um, so let me make sure I put this in the light here. Yeah. Probably just pull so. that up. Let's see. Got Probably some good shell action right there. Yeah. And where's that from? So neat. Um, this is from Alpena, Michigan. That is so cool. That is so awesome. And I would did you even is it like a coral? I was gonna say I'd even lean towards coral now that I see it more in kind of like the 3D. Yeah, I'd say some sort of coral actually. That structure moving it around. Yeah, that's really cool. That's a big old chunk of coral. That's neat. <laughs> I love fossils. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. Okay. All right. So you're um just any any kind of like idea of like any kind of coral or just that it, if it doesn't have a spine i'm out okay um, <laughs> that, that's really i'm a vertebrate paleontologist um so i i've got skeletons living rent free in my head um, but but coral that. they're they're great they are animals but they do not have spine i am if you put a bug in front of me, any sort of insect, someone brought me some beautiful amber and they're like, can you identify this bug in it? And it was like deer in the headlights. I was like, I can give you the number of someone who can tell you what this is. You're like, it's a bug. And I'm like, it is a bug. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, no. so, that was um, really fun. That was really fun. Like, I really appreciate you taking the time to look at each and one of those yeah. specimens. And I mean, that was so very kind of you. And it was fun. I thank you so much. Yeah, I had a blast. Um, we go through some of the other um, questions sure. that we went back to real quick. Um, was there I guess any while, while you're looking you at missed? while you're looking at that, I'm gonna quick show you um, my Montana dig here. Um, going through this was a vertebrae yeah, pieces. That is. There's me digging it out. Um, this was a vertebrae piece. Some hoodoos. This was a rib bone. Yeah. And then this was what I wanted to show you. This was the zoom in huh. here a little bit. This yeah. was the t-rex jawbone you can see the full kind of shape of it and then there's a couple teeth you can see that are black and that was a close-up view who has that which is a good question was is a private individual have that yes yes it is a it was it's it's a private land um so the the landowners have that that would be cool to know to just let them know that that has a pathology on it that friend is diseased oh so it's a diseased um jawbone is what you're saying yep unless there's some really bizarre uh, weathering there seems to be um on the, like towards the posterior like under there seems to be some pitting um that has healed yeah yeah that is so awesome that you can look at that and just know that like that is just just so badass i yeah. love that <laughs> it's, it's, it happened a lot in um dinosaurs i 
again, work most with marine reptiles, but when I do work with dinosaurs, I um, do diseases, paleopathology, specifically arthritis cool. and septic infections. Wow. So, yeah, I, I, I will say um, anyone that is looking for a museum to go to, um, the Field Museum in Chicago is like my favorite place. My and it's really list. cool to to learn about Sue the T-Rex because they have where they talk about like yeah. the diseases and like this thing oh, yeah. shows that it was like she had a heart. A, some, yeah, yeah. Like like this was an injury that healed and they can it's the mm -hmm. amount of information you can tell from a bone about the life that an animal went through is just it's insane. We've got a question here from Mike. With mammoth paleontologist. I haven't. I haven't worked with uh, Dr. Fisher. I have um, friends who have, um, but I, I would love to. It would be fantastic. Since I am semi-removed from mammals, I am, without like getting too much into detail, we're going to be working in like a locality that does have like more mammals, specifically mammoths. Um, so I'm sure paths will, will cross. Um, but I, I personally have not, I, I hear that he's a wealth of, of knowledge on mammoths and everyone that I know that likes Cenozoic and we're getting down to the mammal nitty gritty has, has read all of his stuff. <laughs> <laughs> And then the Crystal Collector joined us. Uh, thanks for joining us, Brian. He's got a question wanting to know, is there any place in the USA you can find decent sized tusk, like a place open to the public? Place open to the public? No. Um, I, I can actually jump into this. So with mammals, with mammals, when... It is like an established, you know, site for paleo. We run into something very interesting because we think of these behemoths, these mammoths, these, these giant sloths as creatures that are so far removed from us and our daily things like going on TikTok and driving cars. Uh, humans, modern humans did interact with these animals, specifically with mammoths. When there is a mammoth found, and a paleo team goes there to like review it. It does not matter what religion you are or what belief system you are. Everybody gets around and they say a quick whisper to the wind, please no arrowheads. Because if you find an arrowhead at a like a fossilized mammal site, it is automatically considered a national um, site mm. of human interest and given to archaeologists. Mm. So a lot of places that have had like mammoths or very important finds from mammals, um, if they are not on like private land, have been taken by like into the care of the government or a body such as a museum or university because humans always get priority over paleo. Always, always. Um, <laughs> mammal paleontologists, kind of some tea, guys. Mammal paleontologists and archaeologists do not get along. Do not get along. <laughs> I am a reptile paleontologist. I have close friends that are archaeologists and we laugh about it. But no, mammal paleontologists, because we are so close in time to mammoths and the fact that mammoth tusk is so valuable, 
Um, people mm-hmm. will pay a pretty penny. I just saw a TikTok that somebody got a, a table made out of a huge mammoth tusk. It was wild. Um, wow. But they're like, ooh, my like table instead of oak. It's it's mammoth tusk. There's not really a place. The Brazos River here in Texas, people, it is open to the public and people do find big old chunks of tusk and things like that. Um, but that is a very specific locale that is, you know, the Brazos is long. The Brazos River is the only place I know, but a lot of parts of it, you know, public, 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 private land, private land, public, private. Getting to a legal place in which to collect, even if you can see it from the highway, is a fun thing to do. So if somebody, you know, private land off that river and they got, you know, permission, that may be somewhere they could. Yep. The Brazos. If, if mm-hmm. yeah, if someone's offering like come prospect on my land or whatever on the Brazos, if you want to find, you know, Tusk in especially this, you know, kind of area of North America, Brazos uh, River, Texas. Good. Um, it looks like Linda wanted to look at the pictures. She said she had, wanted to go back and look at the last two pictures and talk about the one on the left. I'm not sure what the last two pictures were. Was that the one where we it's had those teeth? Oh, the teeth. Okay. Linda, what was your question regarding the teeth? Um, if you would like to um, ask it's us here. Old. It's from a two-toed animal. Some say, oh, I'll put that up for you. Yeah. I've worked with a lot of, so that would be um, from a mammal. It is a tooth. Um, I would not say horse, personally. You're uh, saying fish? Uh, no, it's not fish. That's definitely like oh. a, a mammal. Um, oh, okay. Horses have terrifying horrible teeth you would know (laughs) if it was a horse um horses even modern horses have terrible incisors that look a lot like a dog's so jackie jackie added some more information to this and says it was found in a post creek with all the shark teeth oh yeah um okay that area that actually helps a lot um boop 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 Uh, it could be a camel. <laughs> so I did, my followers did ask me on Instagram to kind of drop a little bit of this about myself. I made a poll. Um, like I said earlier, I'm becoming known as a marine paleontologist that hates camels, which is fair. I hate camelids. I do. I think they are gross. Um, and awful creatures. Um, when when you're a vertebrate paleontologist, you take something called comparative anatomy. And it's just like when you take anatomy in high school, in biology, the skeleton, they have all the same bones as we do, but they just look different. Theirs are too long. Their knees are gross and their ankle is weird. <laughs> Um, (laughs) honestly, I don't know why, and this is the lore drop. I don't know why I don't like camels because the first big significant paleo find that I had 
was the day that I graduated high school. I was 19 and I found a like complete um, like camel longbone. It's beautiful. It's one of my prized possessions. And I don't know at some point between 19 and almost 29, a, a, you know, switch has been flipped in my head where I am repulsed by the sight and idea of camels. Um, I think it's because as animals go on, the last North American camel um, type, like camelid, camelops, went extinct 13,000 years ago. And at the Waco Mammoth site, there are camels there. I just made a TikTok about my deep dislike of that camel. Uh, I was just trying to enjoy the mammoths. But camels, those camels didn't have humps. And I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> they, they had weird faces. They didn't look like camels, but they were camels. And their toes were gross. I just really don't like camels. <laughs> and I'm very opinionated about them and they haven't done anything to me. I was never bitten by a camel. I just don't like them. Oh. <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, a well, mammal okay. could be a camel. It's not a horse. And then I think we've got our last question here. What is your favorite fossil find, Bethany? Which is one I was going to ask you as yeah. well. Um. Favorite, what is two like so to find or um my favorite I love finding Mosasaur material um because it's it's just great. I like finding ammonites, that's also very cool. Um the first fossil, and it's no longer my favorite to find, but I did bring this down. Um the first fossil that I was obsessed with finding were these guys. They're called devil's toenails. Um, that is big. I, I've is seen big. small ones in Wyoming. It's not even huge. the biggest one that I have. That one actually uh, is on loan to a teacher friend of mine because, you know, school just started. So she has it and it's bigger. But yeah, it's giant. It's like bigger than, you know, my cheek area. Um, so I would always go out and find these because they're everywhere. And I love them. But my favorite to find now is micro fossils. I have an uncanny ability to find very, very small fossils. And micro, I mean, like, they can be just, you know, uh, the size of a fleck of paint. I love finding micro fossils. Um, and that's, that's neat. I did bring one thing, though, um, that I actually made myself, I cast this um, by hand, and that is this. This is the, the dentary. So we're looking at um, our lower jaw bits of um, a nano tyrannus that I, I got the, the mold of the jaw and put in this nice resin plasticky material. So it has the nice sockets for the teeth and then the teeth itself. And it usually sits on my wall, but I thought I, that's part of job as a preparator as well is to make molds of the fossils so you can get in there and stare at it without hurting the fossil. That's really cool. Yeah. So while you're the spotlight, tell us about BK Bones. Tell us yeah. about what you have created with your own business and g give us the deets. Yeah. So um, let's wait some water real quick. 
I know we have been like <laughs> grilling you. Like, <laughs> I no worries. Like, I think you just keep talking and going. And I'm like, oh, she's got, you've got the energy and yeah. all the answers. That we're like, we're like trying to pull more out of you. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Um, so BK Bones um, is my like, you know, I, I say I'm kind of like Bill Nye, but with paleontology in a lot of ways. Um, it's like my, you know, brand like performer type um, name and, I go around and I teach uh, kiddos really of any age about paleontology, the joys thereof, and more um, just about the the ancient world. I go to libraries and give talks about dinosaurs and paleo. I am in a very fortunate position where um, I am like a hard scientist. So I do, you know, research, publish papers. I'm in the lab. I work, you know, for museums, but I also do things like uh, last week, I went to a local library dressed up in dinosaur pajamas and read to some uh, kiddos. So I, uh -huh. I love doing that. I like making paleontology approachable because I think that, you know, if you don't want to leave your dinosaur phase, you don't have to. And that's that's kind of what I, I try to represent. BK Bones is my way of being the fossil person I didn't have growing up, especially as a girl, is that the number of times that people are surprised that it's me when I show up. Um, I love that. Was overwhelming to begin with. Um, and uh, kids always tell me, oh, I didn't know you were going to be a girl. I'm like, yeah, um, yeah, I yeah. am. So <laughs> for BK Bones, I have the the biggest part um, I'm a science communicator. I, I have like TikTok is mostly my for like the older kind of like niche. But my big thing that I, you know, the bread and butter of what I do is working with kids ages three to like 12, um, talking about dinosaurs. And I do work with high schoolers and I have given undergraduate lectures, but working with kiddos is, is BK Bones. And then as under the BK Bones umbrella, as Bethany, um, people do um, you know, send me things to prep. If you have any like prep projects that you want advice on that you want someone to do. And, eh. um, but BK bones is my way to, to give back. And maybe if I, I keep, you know, even one kid's dream of paleontology from dying yeah. and I, I have done what I, I set out to do of follow my dream and broadcast it in a way that, Everyone else can do it too. <laughs> and I've seen like people have like hired you to like come do like birthday parties, stuff like that, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, birthday like parties. <laughs> all kinds of like, it's really interesting, like how yes. you've integrated your brand with educating and making it entertaining and fun. Yeah. STEM is a huge and STEAM is a huge thing for today's youth. And I, um, at at first, I'd say in the, the community in which I'm in, it was a little controversial when I started doing birthday parties because people are like, are you renting yourself out like a clown? And I'm like, no, what I'm doing is I'm doing the same kind of talk I would give at, um, you right. know, a an elementary school or at a library. But usually for birthday parties, they're for smaller groups. Um, also do a lot of children with sensory processing disorders, um, sense such as autism that require a little bit more support that a loud, um, you know, situation such as a library or in an auditorium won't be, you know, conducive mm -hmm. to 
uh, where we are, like our, our friends, what they can handle. So birthday mm-hmm. parties are for like younger kids and also just as a way to reach out more. Uh, it's easier sometimes to get your kid to a birthday party than it is yeah. to take your yeah. kid to the library <laughs> because sometimes yeah. children are way more motivated to go eat cake. Yeah, (laughs) to no, you can't run right now. Right, Um, right. You need to sit down. Birthday parties, I eat cake, run around. I think it's brilliant. I thought (laughs) when I saw that, I go, oh my gosh, you know, especially as a we at home, you know, we're a science family, we're a science home, like we're science, 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 and I'm like. You know, that, you know, had to have that opportunity for a birthday party. I've had all, three kids, you know, from, you know, yeah. my oldest is 20 something. I'm like, I would have loved to have that kind of birthday party for my kid. So I, I when yeah. I read that, I'm like, that's a genius idea. I had science birthday parties, uh, mad science where they come and they like make slime in front of you. This was like, yes, we did that too. Mm-hmm. The early 2000s. Like I'm talking like 2001. There's just pictures of me. I have. I think it's somewhere actually on my Instagram for people that want to see tiny, tiny little Bethany. I have a a cake that I'm standing next to and it has a beaker on it full of mystery liquid. And it says happy birthday, happy birthday, oh, like how birthday cool or something. Is that? Like, my beaker cake. This has always been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Well, we, you know, we, our shows are usually an hour. I'm so sorry that we went over oh, so no. long, but gosh, it's been such a pleasure to it's have you. It's been a blast. You. I don't yes. think I've actually ever looked at the top. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you kept going. So I'm like, okay, we're just going to keep going. <laughs> um, for a living. So I, <laughs> I mean, I, we've really enjoyed having you on. Um, ben, is there anything you want to add before we sign off tonight? No, um, the one thing I I think that we always touch on that I feel like we need to tell people is our next episode. Yeah, um, our next episode two weeks from now, uh, Wednesday, September twentieth, uh, same time, nine o'clock Eastern. We are going to have the Miners Girl. Uh, if yes. you don't follow her on TikTok, she yeah. does a lot of like exploring old mm-hmm. mines and yes. goes into. She's had some really cool videos about like talking about like some of the equipment and things that she finds, like just very knowledgeable about mining in general. Very enthusiastic, um, is, is very open with sharing information, which I absolutely love and, you know, has the philosophy, you know, like, you know, we, everyone, you know, nature belongs to everyone and everyone, you know, deserves an opportunity to learn. So I'm excited to have her on next week or sorry, two weeks. Um, so it will be, it will be another great show. Yeah. So thank you, everyone, especially thank you to Bethany for oh, yes. thank you your, so much. your thank time you and your, your knowledge. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Yes. All right. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Peace out, everyone. Bye, Bye everyone. <laughs>